I'm gonna tell all my grandkids I read like a full <laughs> yeah, one. Absolutely, hey, that was hey, that's Darren's story. I yeah. tell, so, I, I tell so, them all the time, Matt. I say, look, man, they had to bring out some fire extinguishers mm, when I got no, when I was running. They Unc, had to bring them out. Hey, Unc Woodson was up there with a the hand watch <laughs> and got him at four two nine. So he's telling yeah. everybody. I'm trying to tell y'all. Perfect. I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, Perfect. Hey, <laughs> hey, yeah. See, that, that didn't work too well for, uh, you know, my, my comeback from what Darren was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, now we can see more of that game room you got there. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, how's uh, how's everybody doing, man? Are you doing well? Yeah. Uh, you know, this, this quarantine stuff is not anything new to us. It, uh, like talking about off-season-wise, yeah. like you're kind of – quarantine for a couple of months where you're just yeah. trying to get that time in with your family after mm. a season so you know it's uh it ain't that bad it's but you know the 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 tough thing is is getting homeschooled kind of oh, figured out yeah. i got a i got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old oh uh, much respect for those <laughs> teachers right the, the four-year-old bro they have like zero it's like definitely hurting cats you know with them oh my gosh they dude. have no attention span and yeah yo and uh, at the same time, I, i'm like Am I, why am I paying this much for private school? Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. And I'm like, all right, what's, what's one plus one? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do y'all do at school? Color? Yeah, I've got a three-year-old, so I hear what you're saying. And my wife's a second-grade teacher, and I can tell you they don't pay them enough. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 This morning, Tiff, uh, you know, because she's got school with the older two and then the twins – they just kind of like do puzzles or, and hold their, she tries to hold their attention as much as she can. Uh, but no, I'm on a, I'm on a conference call this morning and I'm not kidding you. It sounded like they had one of those big mallets that they see at the, you know, at the carnival when you hit the thing for the, the, the bell that goes yeah. up. Right. Uh, it sounded like one of those was taking it to the wall for 30 minutes straight. And like, and Gia's on like a, a zoom call with her class and Luca's got a project. And I'm like, so that's, Two tiny humans making that much noise while the other ones are trying to go to school. Like I don't know how you do it. I really don't. So how are y'all? How are y'all passing? Like, what's the restrictions in Chicago as far as getting out of the house? And so they they they're actually kind of lenient. They should have been more strict in how they announced it. Like the governor basically said, you know, you guys stay inside, but you know, you can walk your dog or mm-hmm. or you know, you can go around the block or just stay away from people or whatever. Right. So. People are like, well, I can go out to, you know, Chicago. Yeah. If you get it, basically, and, and actually it snowed today, by the way. Oh, yeah, my God. I saw so that. Get a, the oh. other day it was like 75, and then it snowed today. It's, it's stupid. Mm. But uh, if the sun comes out, people are all over the place. I'm like, we're going to be <laughs> yeah. quarantined forever if y'all For don't. For real. You know, yeah. But I, saw, I did see, Matt, some pictures. There's a picture of a wild coyote on Michigan Avenue, which is like yeah. know, four blocks from his house. Like, literally, he's right there. Did you see that yeah. picture? Like no cars, yeah, yeah. nobody in the middle of the day. And I was like, "Wait, how did this photographer get this? <laughs> like, did he like let him out of the cage? Like, yeah, I know. Was a perfect shot right on Michigan Avenue, uh, Coyote crossing the street. I mean, like I am legend status, right? Like uh, yeah. I felt like there was a lion was going to jump behind a car and start hunting that thing. We we did take a ride in the car, um, like last week. We just took the kids out and just rode down. Michigan Avenue, which was like weird because everything's boarded up because you don't want people looting, looting it and yeah. stuff. Right. And it's like blank. And then we went down Lakeshore, went by the stadium and then went down Lakeshore. Mm-hmm. And all kind of people are like at this park at one point. 
And I was like, people playing tennis. I'm like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> like, not, like, they're more than six feet apart. <laughs> That's crazy. But yeah, man. we're six feet apart with rackets, so we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Did you see the the picture of the guy at Walmart? He had those those pool noodles taped to his head. <laughs> so, <laughs> Walmart Walmart pictures are the best. Oh I man, I stick with a with a with a. Uh, Goggles on and a snorkel. Oh and yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> I've seen. <laughs> it doesn't work like uh, that. Well, when it first this whole first thing started, there was a guy in Italy that had a big, I think it was plywood. It was just a big circle, and he cut out the middle and put like little overalls on, and so he's walking around okay. looking like Saturn yeah. on the streets of yeah. Italy. <laughs> yeah. it's like you can't get close to him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Crazy man. All right, well, we'll jump into this, man. We'll get going. I know uh, dinner time's coming up, uh, so we'll try to get you out of here. Uh, we think probably hour, hour and 15 minutes or so, just kind of talk through your story. If we got to go longer, great. If you got to jump off, man, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. But, uh, okay. again, man, excited about sharing your story. So we're just going to, we're going to get rolling here in just a sec. Gotcha. Yeah, we've been recording we're ready. We're waiting on you, man. We've been, yeah. we're going to have to edit that out yeah, now. Huh? Yeah, we're no, we don't, we don't need to edit it out because we can start <laughs> it here. This can be, uh, no, I know that. I know that. <laughs> Uh, all right. Anyways, we're here on the Darren Woodson podcast with Matt Forte, uh, man, lucky enough to have played alongside you and, and, and gotten to know you over the years. And, uh, you know, on the Darren Woodson podcast, uh, we just, we want people to be real and transparent and talk about, you know, their, their journey and the struggles and the, the obstacles that they had to overcome and, and your story, uh, you know, knowing it, I think is going to be incredible for, for listeners to, to hear and to be able to relate to you. And, you know, they've watched you on the field for so long and, but then now to understand what you're doing off the field and the impact that you're making, uh, in, in Chicago and South side of Chicago specifically. Uh, but then also that, you know, the stuff that you've done, uh, down in your home state of Louisiana. Um, but yeah. thank you, man, for joining us and, and, and spending some time with us. And, and first and foremost, I mean, I think the question that everybody wants to ask, you first is why was number 44 your favorite fullback? Oh my God. That's a lot. Matt, please tell us the truth. This dude walks around. Everybody wants to, this is the dying question, right? uh, Yeah. I mean, everybody has to know the answer. At at one point, you know, he was one of the last of the Mohicans as as we we talk about fullbacks in the league at this point. Everybody was going to the spread offense, running out of the gun and doing all this and, uh, who was that? Coach Mike Martz came Mike in. Mike Martz, yeah. He he uses a fullback, and so we uh we had Tyler come in. One of the greatest like starts to the season ever. He came in, didn't do training camp with us. Comes in, and I'm like, who's this white dude? They're bringing this to uh, <laughs> the front of that group, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, he's gonna be a blocker, white dude, fullback, yeah, yeah, <laughs> thick neck, real so, slow. Every every stereotype, <laughs> he ticked them off. <laughs> so I'm the, you know, hard worker, high motor. <laughs> team, <laughs> team firster. <laughs> he sacrificed his body. <laughs> just just, just through the, the, the game. <laughs> just love. Dad just, was a coach, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's All the perfect. Things, but, uh, no, he came in, didn't do camp with us, and it was kind of weird because me and Tyler just uh, vibed immediately because he was an older guy. Um and we had some younger guys in the running back room, but we were just so sarcastic to them all the time, like putting them through rookie stuff. And it was like, man, I could, this is my buddy, man. Because I was the oldest in the running back room at, at that time. But my rookie year, I'm like the youngest, like by far. We had guys 
six, seven, eight years in that was playing running back, and then I came in. But uh, so Tyler <laughs> comes in, and we vibed immediately. But also the first game, yeah, like uh, we go through you know all the camp, and and uh, Coach Mart he calls this play during the game that we didn't even. I don't even think we ran it in camp. And he was one of those coaches where he'll like you got to know your playbook because he'll just call a play in the middle of the game. And or formation is like we've never ran this for. <laughs> and I've been through three practices, by the way, at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many plays did you have to sit there and tell Tyler, "Hey, you're going left, you're going right here"? So this was the the ultimate one. He called this play, and I'm thinking to myself, "All right, I'm thinking to myself, I'm getting lined up at the same time." And Tyler, we break the huddle. First, he asked Jay, "He's like, Yo, where do I, where do I line up?" And Jay, and typical Jay, like Jay's the guy. Jay you Cutler, don't know the right? plays, okay, like. I'm not helping you. Like, you got to know your stuff. You got to know where to line up, whatever. Oh, and so he's like, yo, yo, Jay, where, where do I go? And he turns around and looks at him. <laughs> and he just turns around and gets on the <laughs> And he shook me oh, off. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and he, sh- he gave me the save yourself look. <laughs> save yourself. Save yourself. <laughs> but, um, so, he, so then Tyler obviously turns to me and he's like, Matt, like, we got the screen. I'm thinking to myself, man, we do. We never ran the screen out of, out of, uh, out of I, like, out of 12 personnel. What are we, what are we doing? So, I uh, I say, just offset to the right and run a wheel. And the play ends up, we run a screen against Atlanta. I get mm-hmm. the ball. And it was perfect because he took the the, uh, the front side linebacker yeah, out of the way. over the top. Yeah. But then by by him blocking him, and I, I set up the blocks perfectly. <laughs> yeah, of course you, yeah, you, yeah. Did, you did the play perfect, of course. So by him uh, blocking him, he actually blocked two people on that play, and it ended up being like a 56-yard touchdown. It was like a turning point in like the first half of the game, too. Yeah, oh, it was wow. it was crazy because true true story. I had no idea what he was, and, and you're like run a bullet that way. That was like the terminology that Mark yeah. used. He goes, "Hey, run a bullet that way." And and you just posted something on social media not that long ago of those screens yep. on like how to run a screen. And yep. and I I remember going back like thinking about it, and my memory of me is like, "Oh yeah, I went out there and I blocked a bunch of dudes." Well, I watched that <laughs> when you posted it. <laughs> hey, running, <laughs> yo, I looked so lost. <laughs> you did I, take a peek. I did a I full three sixty in the middle of the field <laughs> trying to figure out where I was <laughs> but I got in the way of two guys so yeah. it worked out, it worked out. It was he good. did a full 360 like randomly <laughs> you were supposed to run the bullish route he ran like I don't know if I'm really supposed to be out here let me take a look back <laughs> oh okay people are coming let me turn around you know you <laughs> know those somebody's way everybody has those plays that you think man I did not want to watch that play on Monday that that, that was oh, one of your man. plays well and the problem was is, is, is Matt said like the the media comes after uh, after the game and they're like hey you've only been in this playbook and Mike Martz you know is notoriously has a complicated offense and how did you guys put this much together and you were so involved I was like uh, uh, 22 told me so, to run that way <laughs> and he put me in 22 can run the ball a little bit <laughs> it was like that's exactly how we drew it up yeah that's right and, and funny enough is he did put that play in in the next couple of weeks as we had that yeah. where I ran like a wheel route on that screen and that was hey, like clutch, a second you go run a 360 uh, <laughs> he goes instead of getting in the way just keep running <laughs> <laughs> so, so Matt, hey Matt, let's go back, man, and 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 we want to hear your story and your journey. So let's go back to your childhood, Slidell, uh, Louisiana. Slidell, Louisiana. Slidell. Yeah, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Give us some color to how you were you were raised and your family members and whatnot. Yeah, I come from a uh, a big family as far as uh, my mom's side of the family. She was one of twelve. 
my dad is from Texas, Texarkana, Texas, and uh, he was uh, he's one of three. Um, so my mom's side of the family, being in Louisiana, growing up there, you know, I had tons of cousins and uncles and everybody. Um, and growing up in a small town like Slidell was, I think, is just you know kind of a perfect place for me to grow up as a as a kid because everybody everybody's neighbors know each other and you got tons of kids in the neighborhood and you're always playing pickup games of, you know, everything. And we, I swear we stay, it's so much different. Like now I'm raising my kids and I'm like, I would never let y'all go outside on y'all's bike yeah. alone, let alone all day long. Like I would leave and come back right before the, the street light comes yep. on. Like everybody. Yeah. That's the rule. And, uh, so I grew up, you know, like that, as, but as well as with a uh, dad, my dad is a, uh, is a preacher's kid. And my grandfather was a pastor in Texas. Um, for 60 years. And so being growing up under him and he brought that kind of discipline, but also the wisdom with him um, as far as like coaching and fatherhood as well. So having two great parents is the ultimate blessing in my life and was able to uh, just to help me to go in the right direction in life. You know, there's some people who obviously don't have the luxury of having both parents or don't have the luxury of being raised, you know, with the, with the father, uh, as a role model, but I was, I had that luxury and, um, the way I live my life now is kind of my, how I want to, I want to thank them and also thank God for giving me those parents. But, um, you know, being in Slidell, like I said, a small town, having, I got, uh, one older brother and, uh, his name is Brian and he's two years older than me, but I think the, me being a younger brother and him being the older brother helped me to always uh, strive to do better because he was, my brother was very talented, very athletically gifted and all of that too. So I would always want to, um, you know, hang out with his friends, the older kids and compete against them. And so that's where the competitiveness and that nature, I, I think was, was, uh, was born out of me. From a work ethic standpoint, what were you like as a kid? Did, did you, did you take time to, to, to appreciate the process? Did you, were you always wanting to play the game? I mean, how, how, what was yeah. your mindset as a kid? as far as the work ethic goes. So my, my dad instilled that into me too. Like he was a college football player as well, played at Tulane, uh, same place that I played. And um, he would always tell me, he's like, son, like listen to me because I've already been where you're trying to go. Like I've played this game. I know what you're trying to do. So listen to me. And he would always tell me, no matter how hard you think you're working, there's somebody who's either working just as hard or maybe even harder than you. And so when I used to think about that as a kid, it always went to my mind. It's like, I don't want to ever be outworked. That's the, that's the worst thing you can do is to be unprepared and then be outworked because that's all on you. Mm-hmm. Your preparation is on you. And then if you get outworked, that's just physically you get dominated. That means you didn't do enough work. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've always took that to heart, even from when I first started playing at seven, um, you know, we're in little league and, my very first play uh, of a padded practice, I get ran over. And my dad's looking over, you know, he stands up, he's looking over me because I stayed on the ground. And I had one of them little, one of them little tears coming out <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't like that. <laughs> and uh, my dad, this is typical, you know, you know, like football father, fatherhood teaching right here. He looks over me. He's like, he ain't picked me up. He was like, you all right? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's football, son. Uh, and I was like, you know what? And so I said, you know what? I got up. I said, let's do it again. So we did the tackling drill with the dummies. 
in you know one kid on each side. The Oklahoma drill and, uh, is it like the Oklahoma yeah, drill back yeah, there? Yeah, would you? We had this discussion a couple of days ago. Uh, what do you? What did you guys call it in Louisiana? Was it the Louisiana drill? What'd y'all call it? The Louisiana. The nah, Cajun? so <laughs> we basically uh, there's nothing special about it. It's a tackle drill. No special name. Y'all talking about it's just football, man? Let me get something <laughs> cool and special right now, but no, nah, it was. Just Tackling right. drills, like yeah. we're all about fundamentals. All right, so Matt, uh, so so you started football early. Uh, did you play yeah. any other sports early on, or was it like football? That's it. That's all I'm gonna. Yeah, focus I played. On. I played baseball, basketball, and I played soccer for a little bit too. Um, and as I, I continued to play, I kind of just like when I got into high school is when I weaned them off mm-hmm. because like mm-hmm. I, like football was obviously my first love. Like my dad would tell you. I used to sit down and, uh, you know, him being from Texas, he was a Cowboys fan. Yeah. And so uh, he would watch Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have said that, would, Matt. Uh, Come on now. <laughs> yeah, he's no longer a Cowboys fan. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Somehow he became a Bears fan. I was, fan. Yeah, a Bears he was fan. Yeah. For some reason. For some reason. Somebody started getting, his son started getting paid. That's what it was. He was yeah. tired of seeing 28 get burned every play. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, uh, he would tell me, like, I've never seen a, a three or four year old sit down and watch an entire football game mm. and just be, you know, sit there and be quiet and watch the game. So I just love the sport ever since day one. And, uh, but, but also just being involved in, in every single sport, that was the luxury of being in Louisiana and, and, uh, being down there, baseball, all-star baseball, you know, travel teams with basketball and all of that. It was, you know, tons of fun. So I was, I was definitely involved in all kinds of sports. Nice. Okay. So, so you get into high school, I mean, early age, you just said football, that's what you knew you wanted to pursue. Um, but how do you feel like the other sports helped you progress in football to the level that you did? Yeah, it, it uh, I think it helped in the fact that you, that they're different, but also have the same, you know, some of the same similarities of having to work together, teamwork and, and, and those type of things and kind of taking the same work ethic towards it and knowing the difference, like, um, when I was in basketball, I didn't really sometimes bring the same work ethic that I did towards football, and it would show. And I was like, well, that kind of made it click that if you really want something and to, to be great or to continue to improve and continue to level up in your athletic ability on a certain sport or something, you really got to dive into that mm-hmm. and work at it. It's not just going to happen because you want it to happen. Um, and so by you know being in, in basketball, and uh, it was funny in high school, I played my freshman year, and the whole time playing basketball, I'm just thinking about football at the same time, too. So I'm like, mm. all right, I'm playing basketball, but I still got to lift weights after practice because I don't want to <laughs> lose my strength. Mm. You know, but that's tearing my shot up, like, big time. So I come, you know, try to lift weights either before practice or after or something. I come in, I'm airballing the ball, all kind of stuff. So, so your game is the same today as it was in high school then? <laughs> No, my my game's pretty sweet now. Post retirement, bro. Like, I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. Ask Josh McCown. Josh McCown's a big time basketball Hey, he's a guy. baller. He is a baller yeah, he's for a sure. Baller. He told me. He told me from the words of his mouth. He was like, "You wanted a few football players slash running backs because usually you get running backs on the court and it's all bad because we're trying to run over people." Yeah. So mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. stuff. He's like, "You wanted a few running backs I've seen that can hoop." That's funny. He told me the exact same thing. So I don't know how credible. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how credible that is. <laughs> Matt, Matt, I'm curious. Right, Mr. Pete over here. <laughs> Matt, I'm always curious with athletes, and we were all athletes. But I'm just curious with you. You talk about the work ethic and wanting to be better, and you're talking about it in the context of the sports you played, which which is obvious. I mean that. 
that makes sense. But were there any other interests outside? Why did sports become the avenues that you chose? I'm going to work super yeah. hard at this particular avenue as opposed to, you know, music or, or art or whatever else it could have been. Yeah, I think it was just like the first thing that piqued my interest as a young kid. And it was like, the for some reason, when it did, it was like the only thing I wanted to do uh, besides um you know, have playing with your friends and having fun and doing like that type of stuff. Like, you know, I would always, I valued education in school and stuff, but I never really was challenged, you know, mm-hmm. stuff kind of in school, you know, you'd work at understanding it or whatever, but I wouldn't go above and beyond that, like, and read extra books because, or read ahead in chapters, you know, I would just like, I'm making enough good grades to continue to play sports. <sighs> That's the avenue that, you know, I want to do. And so, uh, you know, it, it just, it just appealed to me, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, and even, even spiritually too, like my, my, like saying my, my dad is a preacher's kid and him, me being in church and going to Sunday school and this, this different stuff. I didn't really understand it at the time, but I kind of, I knew God had a plan for me, mm-hmm. but also that he gave me an ability and it's not just to run a football up and down the field. And, and when I'm finished and my life is over for it to say, all right, he was a pretty good running back. But for me to use that as, a stepping stone for different conversations with other people and to do what I'm doing now, even yeah. so. Do, do yeah. you think it was the end result of, of the success that you saw on the field or did you actually truly enjoy the weightlifting, the, the running, the, the, you know, the, the film watching? I'm curious where your mindset took you when you thought this is fun. This is awesome. Did it take you to the game and the end result or did it take you to the process mm-hmm. of getting there? So in, in any, in any process, there comes a point where the love for that thing gets challenged. Mm-hmm. And that's where you make that decision where I do, I think I want to keep doing this or ah, this ain't for me. And when I was growing up, yeah, it's definitely, you love every part of it, but equally you love the success part of it because, mm-hmm. okay, I put in this work, I get the success. Results, yeah, and yeah. it's yeah. like, as that's, that's, that's what the, uh, the mindset is. Yep. And then, at a, at a certain point, it gets challenged. And I think for me, it was in high school when, um, you know, I'm, I'm killing it in high school and all that stuff and I'm being recruited, but I'm not getting any scholarship offers. So I'm like, where's the success in that part? Yeah, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm putting in the work, but where's the, the rest of it? And so that's, that's where um, things change for you. It's like, are you really going to love it? If, mm. if you're, say you're, you're working very hard and you're not getting – the same respect out of it. And I think my whole career has kind of been that way when you, you look down the road, we'll get into that later. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, at one point in high school, I went to LSU's camp and their high school camp, you thinking like, all right, let me just go to the high school camp. Maybe I get noticed by the coaches. Their camp is like training camp. <laughs> like it was crazy. Like nobody could have ever prepared you for this. Like you go in and like literally – like you're running sprints, you're doing drill after drill. Like people were so so. Like guys didn't come back the next day, uh-huh. like that. And I remember this one coach. It was one of the coaches. I can't remember his name, but he was one of the LSU coaches. And uh, it was at the heat of the day. It was like ninety something degrees out there. We working in, and you know they got all these high school kids. They're like, yeah, we are gonna run them into the ground. <laughs> so they they running us into the ground. And then this one coach, he was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're gonna test that love today. We're going to test that love yeah. today. And like, and when he, when he said, that, I'm like, mm, that makes sense. Cause you got to love it to be out here. Yeah, that's right. Cause if not, what are you, what are you doing it for? That's right. Yeah. And, and 
that day and like ever since then, like when we were doing um, the rest of the uh, the camp and stuff, when they blow the whistle, you know, for a water break, I'd be like the only one. I'm running to get the water. I run over there. Like I was never one of the guys walking or whatever. And like, even though I didn't even get noticed by them or get our scholarship offer, that helped me going forward is like, I'm going to take every practice like this, every opportunity in a game I get like this, because you never know when you know, the next time is going to come. So that's right. So did that create a chip knowing that you weren't getting recruited by some of the schools? Was that, well, ask, let me ask you this first. Was LSU one of the schools that you wanted to go to? Oh, that's, that was my, my goal. Is I, if you had it in my mind in high school, is, all right, I'm going to get a scholarship. I'm going to play for LSU, and then I'm going to the league. That's it. Yeah. Plain yeah. and simple yep. like that. Yep. But then also uh, being there, I knew they was in the SEC, so I was like, I think I had went to a uh, I went to a Nike camp that was at uh, Texas A and M, and I was looking at their facility being there. I was like, "Well, this is nice too." I was like, "Well, <laughs> any one of these big colleges will do." Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> but my my goal was to go D one and then go so to you, the league. So you don't get recruited by LSU. So what does that recruiting process look for, like for you? You know, obviously you stayed at yeah. Tulane as you mentioned earlier, but what is that process? And and you know, what were the ups and downs that were associated with it that you mentioned, like? dang, like I've worked really hard and the results aren't necessarily yeah. showing because these colleges aren't like, you know, lining up to sign me. What was yeah. what was that mindset? And then what ultimately, cho- you know, made you decide to go to Tulane? I think uh, at, at some point, and no matter what you do, you always got to pay your dues and you got to earn that. That, you know, when you, when you don't earn it and it's given to you, people mistreat it. And then also they don't appreciate it. So I think I had to pay my dues in that aspect. As a freshman, was obviously talented enough to, to uh, be a starter on the varsity team, but they had me at fullback. I was playing Tyler Clip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No wonder I like you. It was, it I was actually so did not know that about you. <laughs> yeah, so it was so funny, man. They had me. I played the freshman uh, uh, on the freshman team, and you know we killed everybody or whatever. And they moved me up, but they put me at fullback. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, why they got me at fullback? But at the same time, they had we were running like. The, the wing tee. Yeah, <laughs> the, oh, the, the butt sniff off. The butt sniff And then the next year, um, we switched over to uh, the pro style set, but they still had me at fullback. And uh, the guy who was playing who was playing tailback was a senior. And dude was like 5'6". I'm not going to lie. Like a little 5'6", <laughs> little short guy. Was not very fat. But he was a senior, so he had to get mm-hmm. his time. And even with that, I didn't really – throw a bunch of fits or complain about it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to pay my dues. I'm going to block. I'm a, I was uh, involved in the screen game. I'm going to just, whenever my opportunity presents itself, then I'll be, I'll be prepared for it. And I think that actually helped me because I've never been afraid to block, whether it be pass protection or even running the ball. And playing fullback is kind of what introduced me to that because mm-hmm. I had to, my brother was a linebacker. I had to go against him in, mm. in practice, and he yeah. wasn't no joke. So, what were you? You're, you're a fullback, and you and you're tall. Like if anybody that, yeah. that's ever seen you in person, right? Like you're a tall running back, especially in the NFL. What was your physical build like? You know, your freshman freshman sophomore year. Were yeah. you long so, and lanky, or were you thick? I mean, what? Because obviously, we talked earlier off air, but apparently they were recording it. I mean, you got some booty on you, so like. <laughs> You're <laughs> sitting there, grown ass man, talking about your booty, man. Uh, Come on, dog. Pause. 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 And, and then, uh, but no, I've, I've always been. I've always been that way, um, and I've been kind of just a bigger, lower body guy. And uh, even in high school, I think 
I think I came in at around like five eleven, like one seventy five, one eighty, like mm-hmm. that. So I was a good size yeah. at that point, and um, so I think that was kind of the reason why they wanted me to to be in at at, at fullback because I was mm-hmm. bigger than the the other guys. But then um, it it is hard. Like it taught me to get my pad level low because you yeah. keep you running. You know, I'm six two. You know, you running up all high. You're gonna get hit under the chin and the throat. You'll yeah. get knocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, doing that. So it taught quick to get your pad level low and how leverage works when you're either blocking, even running the ball too, when you're running. Mm-hmm. So that taught me a lot. But for your, your other question about the whole recruiting process, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a little frustrating at, at, at uh, one point. Cause you, like I was saying, like you want, you put the work in and you're like, all right, where's the offers? Where's the success? You know, I'm getting a thousand yards. I'm all state. I'm honorable mention all state. I'm, I'm uh, all district and all these other accolades and stuff. Okay. Where's that at? And when they weren't coming in, it just, you know, it can confuse you at a young age if you don't understand the whole recruiting process is never, you know, foolproof. Yeah. Um, and so I was sending tapes out and stuff. I even sent a tape out my senior year, like like right after the season, like after each game, I would kind of send them out because I didn't have anybody like sending them out. And Virginia Tech sent the note back and was like, wow, dude, we wish we'd have known about you because we saw your tape, but we already gave all our scholarships out. Oh, it was funny man. just that they wrote back and I was yeah. like, well, appreciate them writing back so yeah. I know I'm not crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need that little but validation. I think, I think uh, that whole process was for God to show me that it didn't matter how big the school was. It was about you, the, the athlete, the person, mm-hmm. that if you put your work in, it doesn't matter where you go, you know, you're, you're going to use it as a stepping stone to get where you need to be. Right. And, and so in turn, I had one scholarship offer that was the Tulane, and that's where I ended up going. And, and although, you know, I, I, it was, it's crazy to see what you did at Tulane because the career you had there, the records that you set is Tulane, you know, to most is a smaller school, but the platform that, you know, God allowed you to put that school on through that time. And you know, obviously, you know, with, with your teammates and, and not discrediting those guys, but, you know, it doesn't matter the platform as long as, yeah. as long as you've got a bigger purpose, right. And there's something beyond yourself, you can do something more with what, you know, what it is. Um, but yeah. so you go to Tulane and I want you to talk us through that experience there and specifically 2005, cause that's something yeah. that's totally unique, um, really to anybody in the country, except for your team there at Tulane. Right. And, yeah. and what you guys went through at hurricane Katrina, but talk us through, uh, you know, your first two years there and then going through that. I think, uh, so first year getting there, um, it was it was funny that I went to Tulane because if you asked me, you know, where you want to go, I was naming all the big schools and stuff. And uh, even I, it, even, it wasn't even a second of thought because my dad had already played there. And then I kind of appreciated it later. I was like, well, I got to play in the footsteps of my dad. Mm-hmm. So that even meant more. Um, but if you asked me, I was like, I ain't going to Tulane. I was, mm-hmm. I was always picking other schools. But then freshman year, get there. Um, I didn't register, and there was a guy who was a junior, so we were splitting time, and he had waited to play behind Moel Moore, who was, uh, I think at that time, he he got drafted by Minnesota, and he played for Minnesota and for Pittsburgh for about, I think he played a good career, like nine years. And so I'm splitting time with this this guy, his name is Javon Jackson, and then he gets hurt, and then I had the last three games to start, and I was like, let me – you know, I get to start the full game. I'm not splitting time, like splitting carries. And the first game against Army, I go for 280 all-purpose yards. And I was like, okay, I, can, I, I think can I can this. do this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I think I can do this. And so that happened. So I come back my sophomore year, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a breeze. You know, I already did this, broke records. My, my freshman year, sophomore is going to be easy. Hurricane Katrina hits. And, man, it's like the toughest living situation, like, and just moving around, worried about your, your own parents. Because we got a lot of guys from Louisiana on the team, you know, not knowing or being able to contact, you know, you're getting contact with your parents to see if they were okay. But we ended up, and this is, you know, the story is crazy. We ended up leaving New Orleans the day before the storm hit because the football team's always last to leave for some reason because it was over. get that practice in. <laughs> yeah, we, we had camp, you know, we had games coming up. So they, they canceled Southern Miss, that game that we were going to play, and we, we head to Jackson, Mississippi. So we were staying at – we stopped at Jackson State. We go into this basketball gym, and they got, like, uh, little mattresses, little twin mattresses on the gym floor. Oh, my God. So that's where we're staying. And everybody's like, man, we, there's no hotel or something. We can stay at Jackson State. We had to just stop, and we stayed there. There wasn't any hotel. Everything shut down, all kind of stuff. We're staying on little mattresses on the floor. But Hurricane Katrina hits, and it turns towards Jackson, Mississippi. So – we actually weathered the storm in the gym of Jackson State. They have no students on campus, nothing. They all evacuated before, but we ended up stopping there. So we we stayed there, and everything's kind of – it was kind of the end of the storm, but it was still bad. So there was, at one point, no lights in the gym, no running water. So you got a bunch of college dudes, like football teams, with no showers, been in, oh, on mattresses oh and buses for days. So – we got stuck there for a couple of days and then we went to, uh, we went to, we ended up going to Dallas and the Cowboys actually donated a bunch of uh, gear to us, some, some clothes, some cleats and different stuff. Cause we had nothing. Like they told us to take, to pack for one week and we'll be back. And we, that's all we had. Mm. So we go there and we're staying at the double tree. So we thought that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> we, go, we go from Jackson State's gym floor to the double tree in Dallas. It's like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. And, uh, so we stayed there and practiced for a little while, but it came time. It's like we got to enroll in, in school. And they found that uh, we would be enrolling in um, Louisiana Tech. So we started, uh, everybody enrolled in school there. And Louisiana Tech had a condemned dorm that they were going to knock down. And they cut the chains off the building and opened it up so that we could stay there. Oh. And, and by <laughs> the way, Ruston, Louisiana is one of the it's roughest God's towns. <laughs> I've ever been to. I spent two so, Thanksgivings in Ruston, Louisiana. It was awful. Ruston, Ruston has on the in, on the side of the interstate a sign that says "attraction," and there's nothing underneath. <laughs> it. I was like, "Why even have the sign? Like, there's no They're still thinking. They're still thinking. What, what are we gonna put here? <laughs> it right, will so, come one day. One so, day. Go, so take us outside of of football here. You know, a lot of yep. families in Louisiana, your family is down there. What's the mindset of like, how is our, how is our family? How is our home? I mean, yeah. how, it, how's everybody doing? So how can you focus on football when this is real life? This is much more important yeah. than a game. Yeah, it was, it was tough, man. Like most of the guys that were there, they, they couldn't care less about, you know, what game was coming up or football and stuff because they were just trying to figure out, okay, are my parents all right or uh, is the house totally destroyed? Are they going to be able to move back mm. into the house? Um, my parents, we had, uh, we had, I think, like maybe a foot of water, which mm. Slidell is higher elevation than, than New Orleans. So we're lucky in that aspect. But everybody was locked out. 
So you got mold and all kind of other stuff. So they basically had to tear everything up anyway. Um, you know, in New Orleans, they got 12 and 14 feet of water, which was crazy. And so some, some of the guys on the team, like their childhood homes that they grew up in were demolished. Like they never got to go back and, and, you know, still to this day is, is not even a neighborhood anymore. So, you know, Katrina was tough in that aspect, but it really as a team made us kind of draw closer together. Like so many guys that were from my class or the year behind me or the year ahead of me, like we still talk today because we all went through that one thing uh, of Hurricane Katrina and we stayed in and it, we, we, we had to come together because we all we became brothers in that moment. Because that's we all we all we had was was each other, you know, and that, and that speaks to 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 even more than that the journey yeah. of having gone through a process with 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 your guys, the even yeah. your teammates or whomever, and I, I can remember you know playing on on football teams where you had to go through some some things, some really yeah. tough moments, and those guys because you went through those moments. There was an everlasting relationship. You're gonna have that relationship for, for forever, mm-hmm. based off of that, man. But go back. I want you to think back to when you this all happens with Katrina. What's the next step? What ends up happening? You know, you guys go to La Tech. What happens from that point on? Yeah, we um, we practice there, and we would practice whenever they weren't practicing. So sometimes we had night practices and. Um, the tough thing about that was like when you get out of practice, you know, you got college football team, everybody's hungry. Mm-hmm. Everything closes at like eight mm-hmm. o'clock there. Yep. Wow. <laughs> so you're like, there's like kind of rushed to like a subway before they close to try to get a sandwich or something. So it was, it was rough in that aspect. Um, uh, some of the things like I can call any of these guys up and they'll tell you so many stories. Like our locker room was a room full of, uh, like fold up chairs and you had your bag, your travel bag in front of you. So you're talking about not the cleanly, cleanest place, oh, right? Guys fuck. were getting staph infections. Oh, like man. it was like so many guys. I was scared, just scared that we I get a staph infection. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, I don't even want to sit down on this chair to get dressed. But <laughs> sounds uh, like every NFL locker room. Well, I was, I was, <laughs> I'm not sitting on this toilet. I was saying, your your yeah. locker room setup's not too different than my Division Two locker room setup. See, so. see, the locker room's the same, just the cleaning services. Different. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. All right. So but, so that entire season, you played all away games all away games yeah okay so what was that like i mean not to have that home field advantage an entire season and what did you guys end up going on your record we went uh two and nine that year so that was a very (laughs) tough year yeah and every every game was an away game so um you know even if you play at a neutral like a first game we played was against mississippi state and uh we played them really close and i think we lost by like a point or two at the end but even a neutral site, even in it being in Louisiana, it's still not a home game. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it was difficult, but it did teach us a lot. Like throughout the season, it even taught us like, you know, who's going who's gonna to be ride or die during the season and even in the off season. Like a lot of guys ended up transferring after that because it was their, you know, freshman year and they're like, well, I didn't come here for this. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's some guys who stayed. And so it really taught us a lot about sticking together, even during the end of the year, you know, okay, we're not bowl eligible. We still can go out here and play, you know, you're on, you're on scholarship. And, you know, some leaders emerge when you, when you get into situations like that. Cause mm-hmm. some people just start thinking, why me? Oh, why me? Like that. But I was thinking, okay, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? How do we get, 
you know, solidify some leaders on this team that's going to bring everybody up. And uh, and that's what happened. You know, it separated, you know, some of the some of the weak ones from mm-hmm. the, the stronger guys. And so now we know who our core team is and we built we were able to build off of that and in, in, uh, in going forward. So, yeah. So quickly walk us through the rest of your career. And as I mentioned, you set all yeah. kinds of rushing records there to Lane. But, um, you know, walk us through those those next couple of years. And then, you know, as you approach the draft and, you know, achieving that dream of playing in the NFL that that you'd want to do, like you said, since you were three or four years old, like that was that was your goal. So talk us through those next couple of years. Yeah, the next year, um, so we get back to the off season, and um, the next year was my junior year. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, I got to make something happen so I can, you know, get noticed by the scouts. And um, you know, balling out, we got three games left, and we're this was the the fourth to last game. I'm playing in, uh, we're playing against Marshall in West Virginia, and uh, I'm at 900 and something yards. So I know I'm gonna get a thousand yards this year. And before before that, because Katrina and we were splitting time with the guy who was a senior and a junior, so I, we both you know ran for over like 600 yards. But to, I never had a thousand yards yet. So this is my junior year. Like, all right, I'm gonna get a thousand yards, and uh, I'm really close. And in like the first half, I had like 90 yards rushing, had like 80 receiving, and an interception gets thrown in the second half, and I go make the tackle, and I tear my PCL. <sighs> And my meniscus. So I'm out for the rest of the season right there. So I'm thinking again, like, man, I've been putting in the work. And the success is not even coming off. Even in the game, you know, category, the win-loss category, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't showing up. And uh, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, what am I going to do now? So I just train hard. I get my surgery and, uh, you know, rehab that. And then it's my senior year. So I'm like, I got to make something really happen so that, I get noticed by the scouts. I ended up breaking the record with 2,127 rushing yards for a two-lane running back. Is mm-hmm. That'll put you on the map right there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that puts me on the map as a senior. And then even then, you know, there's still obstacles because I didn't really get invited to the uh, senior bowl till like the last minute. And my mm-hmm. agent had to like politics to get me in. And also uh, the combine, same thing. So I got lucky to get in there, and I was like, when I get there, I got to show out. So I go to the, the uh, Senior Bowl, and I get Senior Bowl MVP. So that puts me a little bit, you know, higher on the on the map. I go to the Combine. They all all the, uh, the the draft scout, you know, websites say, yeah, he's not the fastest. Good size, good hands, this and that. Can run the ball, good vision. He's not the fastest. I ended up running the third fastest uh, time, and we had a lot of running backs. You're talking about. Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, mm-hmm. Rashard Mendenhall, mm-hmm. Chris Johnson. That was a crazy class. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ray Rice, Jamal Charles. This is all in the same class. Uh, so all of those running backs are there, but I ended up running a fast time, ran 4-4-3 or 4-4-2, something like that. That's weird. That's and, the same time you said, yeah, Darren. Like, <laughs> Darren claims he was a little faster than that. So Dude, who's lying here? I was riding back then, <laughs> Well, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell all my grandkids I ran like a four yeah, one. Absolutely, hey, that was hey, that's Darren's story. I yeah. tell so, I, I so, tell them all the time, Matt. I say, look, man, they had to bring out some fire extinguishers when I got no when I was running. They had to bring them out. Hey, Unc Woodson was up there with a hand watch <laughs> and got him at four two nine. So he's telling everybody yeah, that he, he ran. A at least with you, you had the laser time, the official Darren. They're over but there. See, see, I had the laser time, but we we ran forty two yards. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uphill. See, uphill, well, uphill. And it was out. 
outdoor in Indianapolis. They didn't have the arena. They the door. <laughs> but they counted. They counted Barefoot. their seconds like this, though. When Darren, <laughs> this is how they timed her. <laughs> like, hey. like the basketball. Yeah. They can't see you moving your arms. <laughs> There's a video. There's a video. Oh That's man! Funny. All right. But so yeah. so you you showed out at the combine. Now you're going in the draft process. Um, you know, talk us through the anxiety that, that comes with that and okay, hey, what's my yeah. future look like? I've worked really hard, I've overcame some obstacles. I mean, some massive obstacles, you know, with with the injury, with Hurricane Katrina. Um, but now you're approaching it. What was that mentality like? And then talk us through the day of what that was what that was actually like. Yeah, I had, you know, it was definitely some anxiety and being anxious about it because um, you know, there's so many times where I can go back in my career and in life and I'm like all right, I put in a lot of work, mm. but okay, it didn't really, it didn't really, it doesn't always equate to the the success part. And so at this point, I think the difference was I kind of stopped being anxious about it once you know the draft started, and I was like, you know what, it, it ain't up to me. Like I've put, I've done literally every step that I could do to better my chances in every single way. And if I get picked, I get picked. If not, you know, maybe I'll be a free agent, then I could continue to work, you know, from there. Uh, and so the first day uh, back in 08 was first and second round. And my draft grade was second or third round pick. So I didn't know if I was going first there or not. And so I was like, yeah, I told my parents, like, we're not doing a draft party, nothing like that. I want to be that guy who has the party. And it's like, um, well, this is awkward. Yeah, the last pick. Well, they if you guys could put those same suits on tomorrow <laughs> and come back. You guys come on, come tomorrow. They're, they're still doing the draft. <laughs> Crawfish <laughs> will be good tomorrow, I swear. <laughs> no, uh, so uh, I'm, I'm sitting there, and the first round goes by, and I see a lot of running backs come off the board. So at the same, at, at one point, I'm like, man, they're picking all these these guys ahead of me. But at the same time, I'm like, that's good because all of those guys are taken. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody else is scrambling to get a running back or something uh, in the second round. So second round rolls around, and uh, I see that the Saints take Tracy Porter. And uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking because I had did a workout for them. I was like, man, the Saints need a running back because Deuce McAllister was mm-hmm. in his last year or something like that. And I was like, maybe I could come in and you know hit it, hit it, hit the ground running right there. And uh, but they, they took a cornerback, and then I think Detroit took a line. Uh, I mean, um, Detroit took a, uh, a lineman, and then the Bears came up, and I hadn't had no contact with them besides speaking to one scout, uh, Chris Ballard. In Chris Ballard, Kansas Bowl. City now, right? Yeah. It- no, no, he came from Kansas City, went to Indy. He's the Indy. GM now. That's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I had one conversation with him, but that was it. And then uh, my phone starts ringing, I'm like, it was just surreal. Like, is this really happening? Then I answer the phone and I hear Lovey Smith on there yeah. with that, that iconic voice. Yeah. You ready to become a bear, big guy? <laughs> 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 and uh, when he said that, I was just like, you know, my parents were hugging me and my brother was excited. And I had a bunch of high school teammates there and stuff, college teammates. And it was just a great time, great moment. Uh, I don't know what Lovey said after that, but I was just yeah. like, I, I know I'm going to be a Chicago Bear. So that was, I was like, yeah. You know, I got, I got to stop him there, man, because Lovey, Lovey Smith coached me, was my position coach at Arizona State, and yeah. absolutely changed my life, man. I mean, I didn't have yes, a father sir. figure growing up, so Lovey, mm-hmm. coach, I can't even call him mm-hmm. Lovey. I got to call him Coach yeah, Smith. I know. Coach yeah. Smith 
was the guy who forced me to go to class, forced me to get up and speak in front of folks. He he made me uncomfortable <laughs> all the damn time. Yeah, uh, yeah. But just, I mean, he you know, were you to tell that story, man, brings tears to my eyes because he changed your life. He made that call mm-hmm. and spoke yeah. to you on the phone and made that decision, man. So it's good to hear that. That's a good coming from. Yeah, a good but man. not on, on not only that, like him as a coach. Yeah. Like for me to be introduced to the NFL with a coach like that, that's life changing too because. You know, not every coach is like like how he is. You know, mm-hmm. he treats you like a man. And like you said, he pushes that uncomfortable button on you. A lot of guys seek comfort. A lot of people just seek comfort in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants to push you into that uncomfort, you know, where you're uncomfortable uh, because you grow uh, there. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the main place you're going to grow. And so same thing, speaking in front of, you know, the team yeah. and like, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, you may be a good player, but you got to be a leader. You got to do this, do that. And so um, – I appreciate, you know, Lovey and, and the the uh definitely the, the coaching and also just the leadership that he presented as mm-hmm. as a coach for us. Yeah, and I you know, it's funny, uh my daughter actually asked me this last night. Funny that you say this. Um we were just talking about she asked me like what my favorite college teams were and I said, you know, Fresno State, of course. And uh <laughs> and then, you know, I've kind of somewhat adopted OU just cuz of proximity here and I got a good buddy who's a friend of the, uh, uh, is a, a big fan of the Sooners and um and then she asked, "Well, what other college teams do you like?" And I was like, "I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. I mean, mm-hmm. I I respect Clemson, um, and she goes, well, why? And she's like, well, I think what the coach there stands for, uh, and what those players represent, like, I really, really look at that. And she says, well, what does that mean? And I said, you know, Dave Sweeney is, is one of those guys that, that coaches with faith, right. And faith is at the front and it, and you can hear it from his players as they, as they, you know, when you watch them and when they speak, um, and she, and she asked me, she goes, do you, did you ever have any coaches like that? And I'm thinking, I'm like, I only had one, really. I think Lovey was probably yeah, the only yeah. one that I could I could compare to that that type of personality. So it's funny. Literally last night we were talking about that. But I mean, <laughs> when you talk about treating the team like a like men, right? Yeah, I've never yeah, had yeah. a coach um, like Lovey in that. Look, and his big thing was I'm gonna. I'm going to treat you fair, but I'm not going to treat you equal. That's and right. he used me as an example one time, and he goes, Brian Erlacher, like, I mean, I'm going to treat you all like men, but I'm not going to treat Erlacher the same as I treat Tyler Klutz. And I'm like, the second week, <laughs> second week with the Bears. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, man. Like, so here. in other words, if, if we run the ISO play <laughs> – just get out of the way. Yeah, don't touch, don't touch Erlacher. <laughs> but Tyler, if that rookie linebacker, you better go heads with him because you, yeah, you're gonna learn. Okay, so I, I do. So you 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 become a bear, Chicago Bear, and yeah. I can remember, and I know we've all sort of been in this, this situation. You walk in the doors in that locker room. What are you thinking? Do you, is your mindset going? Hey, I got to figure out a way to fit in. Uh, I'm looking at the depth chart, or is the dog in you just showing up? Is that dog just saying, hey, listen, I'm going to compete. I'm going to make this team. Yeah, I mean, immediate dog showed up for me because I, you know, everybody else was just a number. I didn't care what they looked like, who they were, nothing like that. So it was funny, like you say, when you first walk in, was I trying to, we couldn't fit in anyway because when you were a rookie back then, yep. the, the old facility, yeah. they put you in the basement. Mm-hmm. You're not even in the locker room with everybody else. You have to you have to make the team to get in the locker room, which I appreciate that too. You had to go through that, mm-hmm. and it's just us and the you know all the rookies in the in the basement. And you know if you even come in there to the you got to go in the locker room a little bit to get to the equipment room. So say you need some socks or some 
soon as you come in there. Ola Cruz. The hey, Ola Cruz. Hey. <laughs> yeah, talk about Everybody was scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about Olin Krutz and the impact that he had on that team. So the the longtime center of the Bears, um, and I never I missed him by a year, but he was one of those guys that like his legend lived on in that mm. locker room. <laughs> yeah, he he was the the ultimate. You know, not that he hates guys or something like that. It's just like you got to respect the veterans. Like you got to pay your dues. You got to respect the veterans, and, and you got to. You got to get in line with where you, where you're supposed to be at, and I mean, even just the locker room to go in there to go to get like uh you know something from the an essential need from the equipment room. Uh, you, it makes you not even want to go in there because it's like they yeah, go, no, they I could make you do I could do okay without your pet today. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't need a chin strap today. Yeah. <laughs> okay, one of those type deals. So all right, so so you go to Chicago and and you grew up in Louisiana. You stayed close in Tulane. Now this is your first time going away from home, right? And you know, obviously that year with Katrina, you were you were re- relocated quite a bit. But talk us through what being alone, having some money in your pocket. And, yeah. and being in and, and Chicago, I mean, the Bears are celebrities. I mean, and, and you're that second-round pick. You're going to be the guy, you know, the, the franchise is going to build around going forward. You know, what was that first couple of years like in that adjustment to, okay, now i got to be a professional, but now I've got some freedom. How do I handle that? Yeah, um, I, I took it as a profession since day one. Uh, when I came into rookie minicamp, I was the only one, and Lovey would talk about it all the time. I came in in a suit, and everybody else had, like, jogging pants and all kind of mm. suit stuff on. And the first team meeting, I was in a suit, and they were like, did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just adamant about it. Like, this is my first day as a professional. Like, mm. this is my job, even though it's athletics. You know, I wanted to, you know, be presentable that way. So I went in like that, and uh, I treated it like that since day one. So when you talk about – um, you know, being a starter, especially being Chicago, like they love the Bears. You're the second round pick. Um, you know, unfortunately, Cedric Benson had gotten cut at that point. And so now I'm named, like basically they're telling me you're going to be the starter. But, you know, you got to show it too. So throughout uh, OTAs and training camp and all that stuff, like, you know, I wasn't out there just running around like, yeah, I got the starting job. I really wanted to go out there and earn it. So, um, you know, I, I basically kind of took all the reps, you know, just so that I I would know, like, you know, the coach would even ask me, he's like, you sure you don't want to go, you don't want a break or whatever. I wanted to do all the reps because I wanted to make sure I know what I'm doing, but also to pay my dues in the fact that I wasn't just given this job, you know, just because someone else got uh, relieved of their duties. And so, um, you know, came in and, and I think that helped prepare me, even going against the number one defense, uh, with going against, you know, playing scout team and going against the number one defense yeah. with, you know, Erlacher, Briggs, you know, Tommy Harris, like Peanut, Tim, like all these Pro Bowl guys and going against them, they helped me to learn how to how to run in the NFL. And it's, it's so much different than the college game. And, you know, you got to get your pads low all the time. You can't forget one thing because you're going to get you know, they're going to catch you even even if you slip up once. What's and a, then, what was your biggest adjustment? I mean, you, you came in from Tulane. Yeah. What's the big and we I know we all get this question all the time, but it amazes me how this question is you know how we answer this question differently. What was your yeah. biggest adjustment going from college to the NFL? I think it was my biggest adjustment was recovery and and mental 
Um, the speed of the game, like everybody talks about that, that's an adjustment for everybody. But you, you know, people, some people catch on slower, some people catch on faster. Like for me, you're running back. I had, a, you know, I got vision, I got patience. So the speed of the game, you know, it just, it, after a couple of practices, a couple of games, like you'll get it like that. And, um, so I, you know, that's always an adjustment, but the mental, the mentality of everything has to be perfect. Like there's no room for error. Like, you know, the, the cliche saying of it's a game of inches really comes to life in the NFL because you, you know, there's been Super Bowls lost by a yard or half a yeah. yard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that mentality of everything counts a hundred percent. Like even, if you're tired, get out of the game because we can't have you going half because you're tired. You know, we'd rather have somebody full speed who's half, maybe, you know, three fourths of the talent, you know? Right. So that mentality, the mental preparation of it, film and and really studying your opponent knowing defenses more because i uh you know i was a smart guy i knew defenses i knew the offense like you know the playbook was easy to understand but then you get to the nfl defenses are way more complicated you know uh didn't play against a lot of three four defenses in college you know you get to the nfl you're like wait so who do i gotta block <laughs> he's a dn but he's a linebacker yeah, not, wait, not, hold on I, I yeah why why is my mic count starting out over the slot receiver right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and learning like the blitz protection and stuff too cuz that I always have strived to be an every down running back. And some guys come in on third down, some guys play just first and second down that type of stuff. So I never wanted to come off the field. So you got to know, you know, if you get in a quarterback hit, you're not going to play at all. Mm-hmm. If you get in a quarterback hit and you fumble, you're not going to play. And that was that was, you know, an adjustment for me is to know what the defense is doing and base where I'm going to go or how I'm going to do a route or run a route. Like it was so much mental stuff that I had to get um, under my belt to, to be at a certain level to play in the NFL. But um, the recovery part too, like in college, I would just, you know, play a game, have 38 carries and then I'd be, you know, at the, you know, on campus running around playing basketball or something like it was crazy. You can't do that in the NFL, mm. man. You them things, them, them hits add up. What was that point in the NFL that you're like, okay, I can I can do this and I could be really good at it? Like, what was that? You know, was it yeah. two? Was it you know year two? What was the point where you're like, okay, I I can be an elite running back in this mm-hmm. league? I think it was game one. It came to me, mm. and normally, I mean, everybody may not be able to say that, but we played the Indianapolis Colts. It was the rematch of '06. Yeah. When they beat the Bears in the Super Bowl, their opening stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium, first game in there, playing against Peyton. And, you know, he's a Louisiana guy, so I was like, we got to beat him. I want to have a bragging right in that aspect. Um, but that game, uh, you know, mentally was prepared for the game, watched film, and I got to see the whole process of a game week, you know, uh, through the NFL eyes. And then was able to go out there and display that, you know, rush for over 100 yards and stuff, and had a touchdown. And um, when I ran, I had a I had a 50 yard touchdown like right before halftime, and it was a trap play. Roberto Garza comes across and like cuts a linebacker, and it was me in the safety. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, if I make him miss, there's nobody there left. So I I got a score, so I made a cut, made a miss. I run like 50 yards score a touchdown and then I get to the sideline Pat Manley who's the deep snapper who played for like 50 years <laughs> he comes up to me he was like 
wow, we got one. We got a good one. <laughs> you're you're going to be okay. Because <laughs> he had been there so long. He was like, man, like, we got a good running back now or whatever. And uh, he he was just like, I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But he was just saying, like, I hadn't seen that in a while. Some yeah, explosive yeah. runs or something like that. And uh, that's when I was kind of like, man, I think I could do this yeah, okay. after that first game. All right. That's awesome. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just, these guys are getting tired of hearing me ask this question, but I'm just so fascinated by the achievement of goals. And so I'm curious for you, did the reality of making it and playing, did it live up to what you had always dreamed it would be uh, to play in the NFL? Man, it exceeded above and beyond that, man. I, at seven years old, after my first practice, I didn't tell y'all, I I'm riding home in the car, car with my dad, and I told him, I said, I'm going to be an NFL player. And he's like, mm. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, were just just your, you were just on your back. So. <laughs> yeah, you were just crying because you got hit. <laughs> like, you're just crying. Now you're going to be NFL. All right, dude. Typical seven-year-old. Yeah. Uh, but I could have never fathomed that it would be um, how it was. Like, the friendships made, the brotherhood of, of that part. But also, like, it challenged me being in the NFL, like, to the, to the core. Like, to be – an NFL running back and then to play at a certain level and to try to sustain that for year after year after year, because, you know, you play running back, you have a thousand yard season. They're like, okay, cool. Can you do it next year? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. say you don't do it next year. Oh, he's falling off. He's getting beat up, getting old. So like to stay at a certain level and continue to stack those, those seasons really challenged me like to the, to the most. And you gotta, that goes for off season. Um, Then, you know, growing in life, you know, meeting my wife here, having kids and a family and having to, you know, you, you're on the field thinking about them. You're like, I'm providing for a family mm, now. Yeah. So the, the end of, it, it was way above my expectation. That, that's awesome. So, so you go through, you play in Chicago, you, you signed a long-term contract uh, going into the 2012 season. Uh, you played a few more years there and I don't want to breeze over your NFL career because, you know, I think there's a lot that needs to be talked about, but uh, we'll have you back on. But uh, so you go through that and then the end of your contract, uh, you know, I'm sure you, you spent that much time in Chicago. You're like, I want to finish my career here. Right. I want to, I want to mm-hmm. retire a bear. Um, but you know, God had a different plan for you and he wanted to send you yeah. talk us through that next step and, you know, in your time in New York. Yeah, this is uh, cognizant of just what we've been talking about the whole podcast. Like, you don't, you can even put the work in. You don't always get what you may think you deserve or, you know, the the end goal that you have set out to get, even though the work may have been put in. And, uh, you know, playing for the Bears and having those eight seasons and, and, you know, really being a force for the offense and all that stuff, I'm like, yeah, you know, I definitely want to finish my career out here in Chicago and, and right off into the sunset and all that, but, you know, it ended up not happening that way. And at the same time, you know, you, you feel because you're like, man, I even, you know, for the Bears, you know, I played injured, you know, mm-hmm. when I probably shouldn't have been out on the field. Right. I'm like, I'm going to be out here and I'm, I'm and I'm, uh, you know, doing this for the team and all that stuff. And it's hard to separate those, that business part and the team part. But when it came 2015 and I finished my season there and my contract was up, uh, I didn't really hold on to any bad feelings or any of that stuff like that or animosity because that's just how life is sometimes, you know, maybe it wasn't in the cards for me to stay in Chicago and and play uh, another couple of years. And so um, 
you know, you got to take things as they come. You know, I've, I've come as I got older, I've come to realize that we are in very little control of our lives, if any at all. You know, we're quarantined right now. So, yeah, right. you, know, you know, so um, you take a look back a couple months ago with, with Kobe Bryant. You know, mm. nobody could have imagined some tragedy like that happening. But then also on the heels of, of this being, you know, everybody with the coronavirus and all this stuff. So I, I'm not in control. So I can't really try to control everything around me. You know, you can control your actions, your, your character, like these type of things. But other than that, you have to, you know, roll with the punches, so to speak. So when that happened, uh, I appreciated the Bears for giving, you know, a, a little kid from Tulane and from Slidell uh, a chance and it working out. But then also, it, you know, when it's time to move on, you got you to gotta go somewhere else. So, so no, mid, up, no middle finger, nothing like you didn't walk out, get your stuff. <laughs> come, yeah. on, come on, Matt, just give it to us. Tell us. <laughs> you yeah, didn't kick you know, somebody on the way out, no? I did so I, I did. I did. I did a lot of you know kicking and screaming when it came contract time because I was trying <laughs> to secure the rest of my family's future and I was being treated a certain way. But right. when it came at the end, you know, I, you know, people, you want to do something like that. It's like, yeah, who's that going to benefit? Right. Me giving yeah. somebody the middle finger or whatever. It's like, you know, I'm better than that. You know. Yeah. So you know, it's I interesting. Didn't, I didn't want to do that. It's interesting because you, this is the third or fourth scenario where it didn't quite work out the way that you thought, but you seem to be yeah. a forward thinking person and that you don't seem to be dwelling on these, these scenarios that you can't do anything yeah. about. Where does that clarity come from? I mean, is that always something you've had? Because that's a hard mindset and, and thing to accept that I can't control it. I'm going to keep looking forward and, and do what I can control. I think is I, I think God has created me as like, the way he's created me and then also with my parents to be just a humble guy. And you have to be humble in order to accept certain things and work for the, the result that you want, you know, cause um, you know, like you're saying, this is like the third time we had brought that up, but you know, I think that clarity of, of forward thinking is, is just looking at the bigger picture. When you look at the bigger picture, that's when you, you get it, you know, when I'm, if I were to just focus on football and that it and just that, mm -hmm. then you know I'd explode. You know, being you know that things don't go your way. But what I'm looking at it is, and it's part of the reason why, uh, and I'm sure Tyler will probably ask this question in, in a little bit, but um, of what I do now is because I look at the big picture. Football is not it. You know, that's a ten-year career, which is above and beyond what most average running backs get, mm -hmm. and so. Um, you know, if I were to just put everything into that 10 year career as opposed to my entire life, then, you know, I'm, I'm shorting myself, my family and every, everybody else. And so I, I never wanted to be the guy who finished his career and they'd be like at the end, oh, he, he was a decent running back. You know, I want the after to be even more than the, than the before. Love it. And that's perfect segue to it. So thanks for teaming me up, Ben and Matt. Uh, but one of the things that, that I respected uh, about you and your exit from the game and, and as you started that transition, uh, and I'll call it civilian life, but um, is you were so close to a, a milestone of NFL yeah. running backs, right? And so close and you were still playing very, very effective football as a three down back in the NFL for the Jets. But there came a point where you decided, okay, this is this is probably it for me because my purpose is bigger than just a game, right? Yeah. The, the game created a platform for you and, and I want you to start talking about that. But but 
shine some light for us on that decision that you and Danielle made about, okay, this is it for us. You know, we, we've, we've done the things that we felt like we were called to do in this phase. Now it's time to move on to the next one. And then maybe just that, like, uh, I wish I could have gotten that 10 K, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, just shine yeah. some light on that for us. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to, to look at, you know, if you have 9,800 and then you have the 10,000 number, mm-hmm. you'd obviously look yeah. at that 10, like, yeah, that, that extra digit looks, looks nice on there. But when, when it came to me in, in my career, when I finished my second year with the Jets, that end of that year, I played about five games of just constantly every week, got to get my knee drained. And I'm just this huge needle draining your your knee every week and stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'm starting to wear down as a running back finally. And, and I'm like, you know, at the end of the season, I'm going to get some work done on this knee. And when it comes time for, uh, you know, it being rehabbed and done, let me see if, if it's back. Because I want to, I wanna, if I'm going to play, I want to continue to play at a, at a high level. I don't want to be a guy out there who, you know, is you remember him getting like knocked out on the field and that ends his career or something, yeah. you know? And so uh, I, 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 I weighed the pros and cons of, of both. Okay, you say you play, yeah, there's a risk of more and maybe even se- more severe injury, but you get the 10K. Okay, okay, then then I weighed the, the aspect of you get to walk away from the game on your own terms and, you know, your family doesn't have to worry about you every every day or, or what you know from the other the other uh, aspects so uh, you know I weighed that option and I was going back and forth for a while on it because um I did feel like I still had some some left in the tank but also I was just tired man I was like man I'm just tired of being stuck with needles <laughs> tired of, of meetings tired of rehab tired of all kind of stuff and I was like you know what I think I think it's a good time for me to step away from the game and also, I came to the realization that a, a, a milestone of the NFL standards does not define me mm-hmm. as a person and as a player as well. You know, maybe I didn't make 10,000 yards by, you know, 200 yards or whatever, but does that really make a difference of who I was on the field or, you know, whatnot? So that was my whole decision making is that. I can still have a purpose and use the NFL's platform to do some good in people's life. And, 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 uh, that means more to me than to go out there and be limping around on the field for another year or two. You you know, it's cool to hear you say that, that perspective, you know, a lot of times when we fail something, we justify by saying, Oh, just, you know, uh, it wasn't meant to be or whatever, but it's cool to hear you say, even, even from a successful standpoint, you still walked away early because you knew it didn't define you. Um, yeah. So that's really cool that you had that mindset uh, because, again, it's easy to say that when you fail something. That's right. uh, it's much yeah. tougher to, to, to have that mindset when you're really, really good at something. So yeah. that's really cool that you say that. Yeah. You know what I think? I think a lot of guys in the NFL, too, like their biggest fear is becoming a regular person. Absolutely. But it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's awesome. Yeah. Like you got to You got to You know, you get so much praise and, and while you're playing and you're young and you're getting – you know, you're, you're, you're on TV every Sunday and you get all this praise and fame and all this stuff, but that wears off. No matter how famous you're like, you know, you can think about quarterbacks who or, or running backs who have, were at the top of their game 
you know, five years ago, and it's like, wait, who's that guy? Yeah. Oh, he did play ball. You know, like, because when, like, when you're done, none of that really is going to matter that much. Yeah. There'd be some people that really appreciate it or they're a big fan of you and that type of stuff. But, you know, their biggest fear, I think, is I don't want to be a regular person. But newsflash, it's we're coming. all regular people. Yeah, yeah, yeah We're exactly. all regular people. Yeah. Yeah. Darren's living different that. than, you know, somebody else. Sorry, I was, it's like Darren's living that harsh reality right now. No, nobody cares about him anymore. <laughs> they ain't giving me free hey, dinners anymore. Hey, yeah. Oh, what do you mean you can read a lease? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> hey, man, I did have something, man. I needed this to, to get off my chest, though. I remember when your time was up in Chicago, and I was at ESPN working as an analyst. And I could not believe that, she, that you left that, you know, that – that time of your career in Chicago ended. Like I couldn't, when I, when the news broke that you were signing with the jets, it just didn't feel right. And I'm just yeah. being real on my side. Cause I've watched you play. I yeah. know you were an, uh, you know, not only a great running back, caught the ball out of the backfield, did all the little things it took to be a three down player. And, and, and that to, to me, the feat of being a three down player as a, as a running back position yeah. is unheard of today. You just don't see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then not only that, but then going to the Jets and hearing the news and then I saw you in the uniform and I just thought, this does not feel right, man. How many people, <laughs> how many Chicago Bears fans said that to you as well? Oh, man, so many, man. It's it's funny, man, because like even even if I post a, a, a highlight from like a great play from the Jets, they're like, yeah, yeah well, nice. <laughs> Looks better than blue and orange. I wish there was a dislike oh, button on Instagram. Touchdown. I can't even post a touchdown. They're like, yeah, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, but it, was, it, it, is, it is funny, though, because, like, so many people would like, they're like, I can't even imagine you out of blue and orange. Right. Like, it just was, it's like, it just looks weird to me. I don't know. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it was definitely a little weird. Being in it like there is just that happens in, yeah. in you know everybody's career at some point. I guess you uh you want to continue to play, but you got to do it you know away from your your first your first love, your first yeah. team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want to I want to focus a little bit here at the end of this on you know what you're doing now and you know your purpose beyond the game of football. Um, and we've made mention a couple times is, you know, your, your performance on the field doesn't define who you are as a man and, you know, who you are as even a, a player. But, you know, you have taken uh, the platform of the Chicago Bears and, you know, established your home in Chicago. You mentioned Danielle, your wife is, is from there. Um, but you have really, really done a great job of serving the community of Chicago. Let's talk about, you know, what you've done post football. Uh, from a service standpoint, because I know that's really important to you and Danielle, and then get into the podcast yeah. that you guys you guys have launched. Which you know, if if yeah. if you know you want to plug that, would love for you because I think it's a, it's a great resource for a lot of a lot of people out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so while playing, I be uh, watching the news every now and then, and you just hear so much being here in Chicago about the gun violence, and I was like, man, this is so crazy that it's centrally located only in black neighborhoods that. All of these kids, young kids, every every time the weather's nice, 50 shootings over the weekend, 45 people shot, you know. And it's like, why why is this still going on? And I was like, I got to see for myself, like, why is this why is this this, this problem? There's got to be a root to the fruit of this, this issue. And uh, I started, you know, reaching out to people who 
you know, did did stuff foundation wise on the south and the west side of Chicago, and then I started my own foundation and uh, to be able to combat what was going on, which was basically give educational opportunities to the youth uh, so that they can continue uh, to stay out of the streets, basically, you know, so they can have uh, so they can have uh, a way to continue their education and go and do something with their life. And don't have to go into the street life. Mm. And so, you know, when I when I started doing that, I used to go down there and play flag football with the kids and do all kind of different stuff. But the main goal was just to have something, a resource to expose them to something that they probably would never get exposed to being in the neighborhood. I mean, you got guys that are, you know, 50 plus years old in Chicago and the south and west side that have never been downtown. They've never left mm. their own block, their own corner. And it's like, you know, why is that the case? It's just the resources aren't provided in there. Like you could, you can literally get on the interstate and go south of the city 10, 15, 20 minutes down to sit down past uh, the White Sox Stadium. Mm -hmm. It looks like a third world country. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you got all of these buildings and high rises and skyscrapers going up every other day, but you go 20 minutes down the road and it's all liquor stores and fried chicken and fish places. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do something to help out with that. And uh, now I've, I've even in retirement gotten into a role with an organization called Biblica. And uh, they do a lot of international work. So I was when I retired, I was like, I do a lot of work in Chicago, but what's a way for me to piggyback on on uh, on some work, some good work being done internationally. And Biblica does that with uh, by basically Bible translation. And it's a whole new world that I was not even aware of with, you know, uh, people being provided with a language uh, that don't have the language or the Bible in their language and different stuff. So uh, it's just another way for me to reach and do some stuff uh, with people. Uh, even now um, with, you know, uh, the COVID-19 crisis that's going on uh, here, there was a stat, there was 119 deaths from COVID in the African-American community. The next closest was 19. So why is the disparity so big? And it's because in low-income neighborhoods, they can't order groceries via uh, government assistance. So they have to go to the grocery store. There's, there's food deserts in, in neighborhoods. So they have to take public transportation to go to the store. So they're at a higher risk of doing these things. And every, every household is multi-generational. You got grandma living with grandson and all of that. So if he goes to the grocery store and brings it back, everybody's already got underlying health issues, diabetes, all kind of, you know, heart disease, all kind of stuff. So that is the reason why so many people are dying in African-American community from COVID because they have a lack of access to, uh, you know, pro good produce and, and, and food because of the reason of, of that. And I've even gotten on uh, with a couple of churches and, um, you know, through biblical and stuff. And we, we've been trying to combat that by being able to uh, donate money so that they can buy gift cards from Instacart and get their groceries ordered and stuff too. So, yeah, that's awesome. You know. And then your foundation is, is what's your forte? Um, yeah. See what you did there. A little play on words. Well done. Um, but so now uh, <laughs> any, any of those listeners that, that feel like, okay, Hey, I, I want to learn more or get involved with, you know, helping, you know, the communities in Chicago and South side Chicago specifically. Um, what's a, what's a way that they can get, you know, in touch with, you know, your foundation or groups in Chicago that you work with to, to help that. Yeah. I got what's your forte foundation.org is the website that we have. And, you know, there's, you can read up everything uh, about what we do on there. 
and also there's a donate link, obviously. But then mm-hmm. uh, most recently with the with what's going on right now, um, there's a website for ChicagoDelivers.org, and that'll tell you the whole thing of what I just basically the whole spiel of mm-hmm. of why these deaths are coming in uh, low income neighborhoods, and this isn't just Chicago located. Like there's low income neighborhoods countrywide yeah. so this is just here you know so um you know it's, it's a it's a tough reality but if we you know don't put a hand in then mm-hmm. who else is going to do it but uh, that's awesome man I, I, I love that oh yeah the, the true versus truth is uh yes yeah podcast. podcast let's hear about that yeah uh true versus truth is the podcast that we have the name comes from and today a lot of people have self-defined truth so you know this is what fits my lifestyle so it's true mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. but we like to take um, the Bible basically through a biblical lens and kind of go through scripture and let's, let's talk about it. Let's have an open mind and talk about it just because culture says it's cool or we need to do this or it's, it's normal, a cultural norm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's good for your soul or if it's, or that doesn't mean it's good for you personally too. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we talk about a lot of these issues, whether it be in marriages, whether it be, um, you know, raising your kids, uh, you know, fatherhood, all this stuff, or, you know, other, other things as, as far as like, you know, self-care, you know, and, and trying to help yourself out. So, yeah. uh, that's the reason for the podcast and, and there's a lot of wisdom and other guests on there that have a lot of wisdom too. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. The last thing that, that I want to ask you, and then Ben's going to pose a question to you. Uh, but, uh, one of the professions that you did not mention was acting, and if you could just yeah, go ahead, come on, man. If you could run through, oh, they're, trying, uh, they're killing you over here. The hey, line, man, they're killing you over here, man. If you don't know what we're talking about, you want me to do a monologue? If you don't know what we're talking about, that you did on Chicago Fire, <laughs> which which my wife and I are obsessed with that whole the whole Chicago series, you know, PD, Med, and Fire. Uh, we love that, but and and I, you know we're close with you and Danielle, and I think I saw yeah. you post something, but like we were watching it, we forgot that you were on it, and I'm like, no, no, he's on the human chain helping that kid out of the river. <laughs> did you did you have a line? Did, did you? Oh talk? yeah, oh yeah, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Chicago awesome. Okay, all right, put your, put the them. put the face on. Put your hold on. Put, yeah. Get yourself in the zone. And yeah, I want to hear. Let, I want to hear the line. Do a reenactment. Do a reenactment. What'd you say? So this is I, I'm. Far worse of an actor than a football player. Just it's true. to let y'all know. It's true. <laughs> I don't even remember the line. What is the line? Chicago about, shows up for each other. Yeah, Chicago shows up for each other. Something like that. Hold on. Take take yeah, us so back. The, the, scene, the us. scene goes where uh, one of the guys, uh, the, the mom, first of all, she was being a bad mother. She fell asleep on the couch and her son uh, was about to drown in a mm-hmm. freezing cold lake. And so we were a human chain holding on and we kind of save him or whatever. And so she comes running out and she's like, thank you. Thank you to all the firefighters. And she's like, and the firefighter, he goes, well, don't thank us, ma'am. You need to thank him and her and her. And he keeps pointing to all the, the guys and the, the girls on the human chain. And I go, hey, Chicago shows up for each other. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Give there it is. What, what's the award? What's the <laughs> awards for TV show? Give him an Emmy. What is, what is, yeah, it? The, is it the Emmy? Yeah. <laughs> a Grammy. A Grammy. Grammy. There you go. Nah, that's there singing, man. Hey, that's a singing. I know. I know. I was joking with the cast. I was like, I'm going to get a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you didn't have your Jets helmet. Close oh, oh, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the F, F yeah. D N Y. Just yeah, just just the green N Y shirt on. Man, here, here's the thing. What I love about podcasts is it gives you it gives you insight on people that you would never have access to. And we just so much appreciate you you jumping on here because I remember watching you play. I, I didn't know anything about you, though. And, and having this yeah. conversation, getting to know the real uh, Matt Forte, I mean, that's awesome. Your story is incredible. Um, so really, really appreciate you going going in depth. One, one question that we like to end every episode with, um, and, and if you need a second to think about it, go for it. Um, if you could go back to any point in your life and, and – Tell yourself one thing. Where would you go and what would you tell yourself? I would probably go to I'd probably go to to high school, maybe my uh senior year, and I would tell myself that you're enough. Oh man. I'd tell myself you're enough. You don't have to try to uh, fit in from the world standards or other people's uh, views of you or, you know, you don't have to try to fit in so much of from what other people do. If you stand out, you know, you can't stand out trying to fit in, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, w- I would tell myself that. That's, That's the awesome, best answer man. we've gotten to that That's question. Great. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Matt, man, thank you so much. Uh, go go have dinner uh, with, with Danielle and the kiddos. And thank you again for spending some time with us. And as always, man, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I just want listeners to to hear when I say this is, you know, we have a lot of guests on that tell their story. And, um, you know, we're all about being transparent on this. And, and everything that Matt has said about his journey – I got the chance to see and, you know, his work ethic and his talent, those are all real and undeniable, but the man that he is off of the field is more defining of who he is. And that's, and that's the most important thing that, that I've been blessed with kind of being around him over the years. Um, and so thank you, Matt, for, for being the, the influence that you are to the communities around you, but you know, the community that, that you've created in the locker rooms that you've been in, man, because you've made lasting impacts on, on a lot of, a lot of men, and so keep doing what you're doing, man. I know that, uh, that God's got really, really great things in store for you in the future. And, uh, man, look forward to having you on again. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. I appreciate y'all uh, having me on. This is a cool uh, deal you guys are doing with the appreciate podcast. Appreciate Yeah. No, Thanks, it's, brother. It's great, man. Hey, last thing is, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, um, next to 17 over there, there's room for uh, either 48, 48 or 44. Yeah, 28. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about 44. Yeah. Yeah. I, got the, I got the 2-9. I got the DeMarco. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, need, I need one from all of y'all. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. All right, man. Yeah, well, have I'll a good one, man. Jersey. appreciate you. Jersey. I'll send you a jersey, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Send me one. Thanks, bro. All right, brother. Thanks, Matt.